Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, everybody, we're so, so glad to see you guys. Again, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Um, I am so excited to be back up here because for the last six weeks, we've been doing a series called At the Movies, which is all pre-recorded, and so it's been six weeks since I've been able to be up here live, so I'm super, super excited to be here. I hope you are uh, as, as well. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Home for Christmas, and, and I'd just like to start like this. Those of you who are worshiping with us online, uh, let us know in the comments. Those of you here, right here, uh, how, where's your home that you call home? For those of you who are from San Antonio, would you just make some noise, raise your hand, this is home for you. Woo! Yeah! San Antonio is my home. Uh, if you're not from San Antonio, you can just kind of whisper to somebody where you're from. Uh, we like you too. Um, this, is, uh, this is such a strange season, the holiday season. It's this different holiday season for many of us than we've ever been before. Many of you uh, weren't able to go home for Thanksgiving. Some of you were like, I don't care what they say. I'm going home for Thanksgiving because I don't want to eat you know, whatever. I want to eat my mom's food. Many, many of you won't get to go home for Christmas either. For some of you, you call that a gift, right? You're like, I don't want to have to go home, and I don't want to have to deal with all of that. Uh, and some of you, though, you are really hoping that things work out and you can go wherever it is that you're from, and, and, or that Christmas, the people up will come home to you um, as well. We're talking about home, and few things in this world are more powerful, I think, than the idea of home. I don't think there's another word in the English language that is as evocative or maybe even more powerful than that one little word, home. It, it can fill your heart with gladness. It can make you smile. Uh, it can make you cry. It can make you weep. You know, it can make you cringe. Like, and I don't care how old you are. I, I don't care how independent you may be or how much you've achieved or accomplished in, in your lifetime. That one little word, that idea can touch the absolute deepest places in the human heart like few other words can. It can lead to feelings of despair or joy or somewhere in between, home. And, and it's interesting because we think about that notion more at Christmas than probably any other time of the year. We have songs that we sing. Andrew just sang one of them. We have other songs like, there's no place like home for the holidays. No matter how far you roam, you, you remember this song, right? That there, for, for home... For some, home is a wonderful idea. For others, not so much. And, and here's why that is. It's often because we have this sort of idealized version, this sort of pottery barn version of, of, of home. Um, and then there's the home that we actually had or, or have. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, there's a gap between what we dream about and what actually is or what actually was, because often we would describe home as a broken place. I came from a broken home. We'll say things like that. There, there, there's so much interesting language, the phrases that we say. We'll say home is where the heart is, or home is where my dog is. Any dog people in the house today? Dog people in the house? A few of you. Cat people? Yeah, yeah a couple cat people. You know, we don't often talk about cats here because cats are always associated with the devil in the Bible. <laughs> the devil goes around like a roaring lion, lion cat. Um, anyway, old joke. I'm telling it again. 
But you know, those of you who have cats, you know secretly you're wondering what's going through their brain over there as they're sitting in the sunshine looking at you weirdly. They're plotting your death. That's all I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> you're like, stop talking about my cat, bro. I'll come at you, man. Uh, I, I don't know why I'd bob my head like that. But anyways, home, home is where you're most comfortable going to the bathroom. Come on, that's just true, right? Is that, is, that, is that too much? It's the third service. We can say whatever we want at this point, right? Home is where you treat your friends like family and your family like friends. Home, home is where your story begins. You know, I love baseball. Um, I never played it. I played basketball and soccer. But in, in baseball, when you're running the bases, you're vulnerable, right? Trying to get to first. They're trying, somebody's trying to throw you out. Somebody's trying to tag you out. Then after first, you go to second base, and then you're vulnerable there. You go to third, you're vulnerable there. And you'd think, naturally, that after third base, you would, you would go to fourth base, but in fact, you, you make your way home. You try to get home, and, and when you get home, you, you love it there because you are, they would say, you're safe, right? And then there's this huge celebration occurs, and people, depending on how big the moment is, people run out and hug you and pick you up and high fives all around the crowd. The crowd goes crazy. Why? Somebody came home. We, we long for home in our own different ways because home, when it's ideal, is where you're supposed to be, uh, to, to belong. The, 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 this is the beautiful thing about home. Home is a place where you're welcomed, you're accepted, you're loved, you're, you're celebrated, you're honored just because you are you. You didn't have to do anything for that one. You didn't have to deserve it. It's just because you are you. And the Bible has a lot to say about home from the beginning of its pages to the end of it. There's all this reference to home. So today we're going to talk about why it is that home has so much power in our lives and, and why it is that this word, at least the idea of it, whether we've ever realized it or not, why it touches us so deeply. And, and then this notion that Christmas time is a time for home. Christmas is a time to come home. Really, as I've been reading the story of Christmas over these past, this past week with our Advent series that we've been doing online and on Facebook, you can go to our website, lifepointsa.com, and download that, that, that Advent reading. Um, as I've been reading this, I realized again that the very first Christmas is actually a homecoming story. Because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, which was David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So Joseph, who becomes the adopted father of Jesus, has to return to his hometown, his ancestral hometown, so that Jesus can be born. The first Christmas is a story of coming home. And it's interesting because Bethlehem and Galilee, Nazareth, are about 80 miles, 70 to 80 miles apart. So he has this long journey there's all this journey language in the Bible about journeying and finding our way to our kind of forever home. In Bethlehem, the word means house of bread. It's, it's the place of bread. And 
Jesus would be born there, and one day he would call himself the bread of life so that anybody who was hungry at a soul level could come and, and find rest and find home with him. Home is an amazing place because when you th think about it like this, when home is the place where you sort of get your shape in life for better or for worse. We, we get molded there in ways, and sometimes we wish we hadn't been molded in this way, but we get molded there. We learn how to interact and rub up against the world there. We, we get our name from our home. We get our identity from our home. And we ask people after we've knew people that we've never met before, hey, what's your name? And they'll be like, oh, it's Bill. And then the, the, the next question is like, well, where, where are you from, Bill? And it becomes this sort of identifying marker. You know, for me, I'm from San Antonio. I was born at the Methodist Hospital here, and every now and then I get to go and see somebody having their baby before COVID. We can't do that anymore, but back in the day, you know, back in the day, we used to do that, and I'd be like, man, I was born in this hospital, and they'll always be like, really? This is that old? I'd be like, why you got to cut me, man? I'm here to visit and celebrate your child. You cut me real deep. Shrek, you cut me real deep. I, I'm, I'm puro San Antonio all the way. Like, I drove up and down Southwest Military Drive when I was a teenager, right? Give me some big red, some carne guisada, and I'll die a happy man. Puro. Only seven people know what I'm saying right now. We, we long for home because home is supposed to be a, a safe place. We, we long for a home. The older that we get, what is the first thing we do when we get married or when we have our own kids or whatever, however it looks like, the first thing we do is we, like, I want to buy my own home. Like, I, wanna, I want my own home. And it's supposed to be this place that's yours, a place that you can rest. And there are, there are many reflections of this throughout the scripture. Psalm 84 the Bible says even the sparrow has found a home. Like in God's world, even a sparrow has found a home. A swallow, a nest for herself where she may have her young. And the sparrow was considered one of the most vulnerable creatures in the ancient world. Even the sparrow has found a home. A place near your altar, O Lord, my King. Home, when it's at its best, is the place that you belong. Home, when it's at its best, is the place where you're supposed to be safe. Home, when it's done right, is a place where love prevails. But we live in a world that isn't always safe and where most of us at one point in our lives or another have felt excluded by somebody and where love doesn't always prevail. So it turns out that, that our longing for home, for our own home, our, our homesickness, if I can use that word, is something that, as it turns out, that this world cannot satisfy. You and I and everybody we know, we're made for something else, something beyond this home, a, a deeper home. And, and Jesus would come on the scene in the Gospels, and he would talk about this. And, and he says in John chapter 14, verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you without a home. I, I will come to you. And then verse 23, he replies, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Th this, is, this is an astonishing thing to think about Jesus says, we're going to come 
and make our home in them. You and I were meant, amazing as it seems, to be the place that God calls home. That God's Spirit calls home. God wants for you to be at home in Him, and God wants to be at home in you. That the God of the universe, the God who spoke the galaxies, the Bible says, into existence, the God who made this world and everything in it, wants to make His home inside of you and inside of me. God says, I'll be home for Christmas if you'll let me. And then there's this notion, this notion that Jesus would give in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is the picture that he's giving us in John 14. I'll come in. If anyone will open the door. What what, what an invitation this is. Jesus is letting us in on the fact that he's always knocking on the door of our hearts and of our lives. Somebody let me in. And he's available, he says, to anyone who will open the door. So home. Home has a powerful influence over all of us. At Christmas, God makes his home with us. Emmanuel, the prophets said he'd be called. Emmanuel, God with us. At Christmas, Jesus Christ is born. God has sent his son to dwell with us. I I love the way that the message paraphrase, which is a translation of the Bible, uh, 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 translates John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Man, what a, what a powerful no, uh, 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 idea. God has moved into our neighborhood. God, though, is at his best when he makes his home, not in just the neighborhood, but he makes his home in our hearts and in our lives. And Christmas is about home and this notion that we are inevitably, inevitably drawing, drawn to home, kind of forever home. But, but where does this powerful idea come from? Where does this, where does this notion, this, this longing inside of our hearts, where does it come from? Well, as it turns out, it's, it's a God thing. It's a God idea. Tim Keller the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He's this amazing writer. He writes this book called The Prodigal God. He has a bunch of books that are amazing, but The Prodigal God is amazing. You should read it. And this is what he says about home. He says, home then is a powerful but elusive concept. The the strong feelings that surround it reveal some deep longing within us for a place that absolutely fits and suits us where we can be or perhaps even find our true selves. And yet it seems that no real place or no actual family ever satisfies these yearnings, though many situations arouse these yearnings within us. What what Tim Keller is suggesting is that deep inside of every one of us is a yearning, a longing, a deep desire to be in a place, to find a place where we are fully known. No, no masks, no hiding, where we are fully loved in spite of the fact that we are fully known, where, where we are fully accepted, where we flourish in every way possible, where there's acceptance, where there's safety, where there's security. 
And, and the reason every human being longs, even if we haven't kind of sort of dealt with this, like we haven't gathered this so far, the reason every human being longs for a place like that is we actually were created in the beginning to live in a place like that. If, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of, of, of the pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we get the creation story that God created the heavens and the earth and, and the world, and in the middle of the world, he, he creates a garden, a, a sort of paradise, and in the center of the, the paradise, he puts Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, and, and they have everything that they could possibly want in this moment. Every desire they have, they, ha they can have it here. And this is where life flourished for Adam and Eve. They physically, spiritually, socially, it was perfect. There was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no death. And at the center of this perfect uh, paradise was this intimate relationship with God, perfect union with God. That was home. That's what made this home. That's what we were created for. But you know the story, right? Adam and Eve wanted some autonomy. They wanted uh, to have an independence from God. They wanted to live by their own rules, by their own ways, and so they decide to do that. They make a decision to sort of know, to be like God is what they think they're doing. And this is a choice that they make, and they were ultimately expelled from that garden, that paradise, that perfect union with God. And ever since that moment, ever since that moment, people have been searching and longing to find the place where they can flourish completely and absolutely. And we yearn for that. And many of us find close glimmers of that here in this life. Others of us have never felt that way before. And we're still searching, hoping someday to find that place. And God has wired, hardwired in all of us this longing, this yearning for home. The writer of Ecclesiastes, the wise man Solomon, says it like this. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set or placed eternity in the hearts of men. Yet, they cannot fathom. They don't understand what God has done. They don't get it from beginning to end. They don't understand that God himself has hardwired them with something that keeps them looking for something else. C.S. Lewis has a quote that says something like, if there's a desire on earth that cannot be met, it's because we were all created for something else, something more. Our hearts long for eternal things and an eternal home, and God put that in us. And that eternal pool is not always recognized for what it is, and, and sometimes it leads us as we pursue this and that, trying to fill this void and that, sometimes it leads us some, down some bad roads trying to find what we've been looking for. God puts eternity in our hearts some mechanism that's always whispering, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. Our hearts call out to us that we were made for something more, for eternity, for a home that we cannot see. And in, in my quiet moments and the way this works out in my life, 
Sometimes when I'll be at the seashore and I'll feel so small looking out on the vastness of the ocean and the beauty of it, or I'll be at some mountain range as we were in July and I'll see the snow and the amazing power and majesty of this mountain and it'll take my breath away. Sometimes this happens to me, most often this happens to me when I'm driving home from, from the west, uh, east to the west as I'm coming back this way and I often see a sunset and something about the sunset makes me nostalgic for something I've never known. I'll get this kind of quick sadness, this quick sorrow for something that I don't even know what it is. That is eternity in the hearts of God set in the heart of man, this internal, this eternal search engine that keeps us pressing outward for that elusive idea of home. And really, more importantly, home with God, union, perfection with God. So, so I think that what the wise man was getting at in Ecclesiastes is this desire that we have for home. We were created for it. We were wired up for it with this desire for home with God at rest and love, acceptance, home. And there is this pull. Whether you've recognized it or not, there is this pull like moths drawn to a flame for that place. Something inside of us put there for, by God to call us Home, there's a longing for something that nothing in this world will ever satisfy. And our longing for home is an echo. It's an echo that we don't always understand, but we hear it in our own ways. It's an echo of our longing for God, our longing to be loved, our longing to be protected, our longing for, to be shaped and, and to be molded and to be secure and to be wanted. And I don't care how grown up you get, how good you look out on the out, outside, inside, we're just all children who want to be home who want a place where we are known and loved and accepted. And there's just something about home. There's really nothing quite like it. And generally, it's not always so much about the house, is it? The bricks and, and the blocks. It's about the relationships. It's about the memories. It's about the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, the siblings. It's about good times. And sometimes they weren't so good because our home wasn't all that great. And because of those things, when it comes to our earthly home, some of us are really drawn to home, but others of us, we run from it. I, I wonder if any of you have ever run away from home in your childhood. Maybe you took a, a leave of absence. I remember my mom telling me when I was two or three years old that um, I ran away from home, apparently, because they couldn't find me. They were looking everywhere for me, panicking, calling the police, and finally they found me up the sidewalk on my inchworm, just inching along. Some of you don't know what an inchworm is. Some of you do know what that is. It was like my version of a Harley at two in my diaper, cruising away. I'm done with this place, man. My oldest brother, John, I love him dearly, but he used to try to run away from home all the time, and he'd be like, dude, I'm done with this place. And he'd pack a few things in a little bag, and he would leave 
to the side yard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he'd be like, dude, I'm still hungry, so I'm going to come in and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but then, bro, I'm gone. <laughs> I was too young to run away. He was too old to run away. But let's be honest, you're never too old to run away from home with God. See, that's the problem, the human condition. We want God, but we don't want God. We want to be safe. We want to be loved. We want to be protected, but we also want to do our own things even more. And therefore, the prophet Isaiah says of us in Isaiah 53, 6, he says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And because of our notion for this, God sends Jesus, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the cross, where God sends Jesus, who comes, who hangs on a cross to pay for, to, to, where God lays on him the iniquity of us all. So in that sense, we are all runaways, aren't we? Some of us actually have run away from home, from God. Others of us have stayed home. Uh, but we've run away in our hearts. We love home. We hate home. We love God. We run from God. So Jesus, knowing the human condition, he would come and try to tell stories about how the human race runs away from home but can come back. They're always invited to come back. And he would talk one, in one place, Luke 15, about a prodigal son who makes these terrible choices. And maybe you've made some terrible choices. I know that I have. In the process, he wounds his father, he shames his family, he takes his money, he wastes his money, and then he wakes up one day after he's lost it all in enormous pain. And he says to himself, this can't be all that there is. I have to go back home, and I don't know if I'll be welcome there, so I'll just ask if I can be a servant, if I can just sort of do the good works program to get myself back in right relationship with my father. But what he doesn't know is that his father is waiting for him with outstretched arms. He doesn't know that his dad, every day since the day he left, has been looking for him. Broken-hearted father of a broken home. And when he sees his son a long way off, he just starts running to him and throws his arms around him. And by the way, this is the only time you see a picture of a God who would run. This is how important a thing coming home is. The heart of the Father, Jesus says with this story, is the heart of God towards you, whoever you are and wherever you've been and whatever it is that you've done, just come home. I just want you to come home. Over these past several months, seven or eight months, there's all this data about the Christian church in America and what's happened because of COVID, because of social justice issues, that, that the average church in America has about 35% of the people they had pre-COVID, and that's been about right in terms of people coming in person. But, but, but the scary sort of data point was that 31% of all these thousands and thousands of people that they interviewed, 31% have just said, I'm done, and have walked away from their faith. And that was shocking to me, and our team has met and talked about that, and it seems scary on the surface. But then I remember the heart of God displayed in this story 
31% millions of believers, God going, hey, come back home. And I know that there's a day coming soon, coming when people who've never known Jesus and people who used to follow Jesus and turn for whatever way, for, for whatever reason, will come back home. And I want, I want to show you a, a clip here. I've shown here probably two or three times through the years, but it gives us a, a real insight into the heart of God. Check it out real quick. I saw the look in his eyes. He was searching for a prize, worthy of his strength, worthy of his life. In a world full of shiny things, hope that he'd see his name burning bright up high in the city night. And that's when he came to me. Father, won't you give me what is due to me? I gotta go now, time for me to get out of this small town, time for me to live my life, my way, my dreams, it's my right. I know that I gotta dance with the city and own the night. Gotta find someone pretty and toast the wine. Gotta live for the moment, gotta get what's mine. I gotta live for the moment, I gotta shine. I stood right beside him, watched him pack his things. Watched him walk out the door with his hopes and dreams. I pray my best prayer for him every night I sleep. I pray my best prayer for him, yet my soul it weeps. Day after day and week after week, I can still hear his laugh and I can still hear him speak. I remember the day that I had a son. I remember our joy and I remember our fun. Weeks turned to months and months turned to years. The hope of my thoughts now consider the fear. Wonder if he's doing well. Maybe he's found a girl. Maybe he got stuck in jail. Maybe he's been shot and killed. I don't know, but I'd give all that I own just to hold my son again. The tears and the blood that I spent. The nails in my hands and my wrists to cover the sin and the pain that you're in to give you my peace that you might love to repent i place a kiss on his cheek and a crown on his head just to know that my son's not dead and if you spend all your gold and you're lost in your cold just come home just come home See the idea of the story that Jesus gives us here with the prodigal son is not that you come home and do the moral improvement plan to sort of try to earn your way back. It's not clean up your act so that you can come to the Father. No, the moral of the story is that however you are, wherever you are, it's the Father who's out looking for you. And he receives you just as you are. See, the thing is, Jesus can do 
what I cannot do. As much as I love my children, I cannot make their hearts right before God. See, Jesus can clean the darkest hearts. Jesus can soften the hardest hearts because Jesus can do what no one else can do. You know, there are people here in this world with a lot of power who can move the needle on various things. You, you think about a guy like Warren Buffett. He can make a comment on a stock and that stock will grow by hundreds of percentage points. But he cannot cleanse a human heart. You, you got Oprah Winfrey, man, who's got more power than her. She can turn people who were obscure and unknown like Dr. Phil and other people and they become famous and have their own show. She can pick up a book and say, this is a book that I love and it becomes a New York Times bestseller like that. But Oprah can't save anyone. LeBron James, man, he just won his fourth championship with his third different team. It's like wherever he goes, eventually a championship's coming. He just signed a contract, two years, 85 million. Some of y'all can relate to that. I can't, just FYI. He's got real power, but he can't save the human heart because Acts 4 says that there's only one name in heaven or on earth by which we are saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Only Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Only Jesus can give you a purpose for your life. Only Jesus can give you hope beyond the grave. And only Jesus can come and make his home in your heart. Only Jesus was born at Christmas in a manger and died on a cross and was resurrected uh, 2,000 years or so ago. And now, even on the other side of the world, he's still changing hearts and lives, and only Jesus does that. And with the story of the prodigal son, Jesus shows us the heart of the Father, but not just the heart of the Father. Shows us the power of the Father to resurrect, to change hearts and lives. See, the truth is, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, you can always come home. Listen, Somebody's going to watch this maybe even months or years from now. You can always come home. Always. This son has a change of heart. The Bible calls it repentance. It's just simply he was going one direction and he realizes this is not the way to go. I've made it my own rules. I've made my own way and it's gotten me in a mess. And so he turns. He does a 180. He repents. He turns and goes back to his father, who, as it turns out, is waiting, ready, willing. And when he gets there, home, when he gets home, he's safe at home. And guess what they do? They throw this huge party. They lift him up on the shoulders. All this snapshot of our forever home in heaven where Jesus says anytime somebody returns to the Father, angels rejoice over one lost son or daughter who comes back home. See, maybe you don't even know for sure that God is at home in your heart, but you can. You can know that. And you can ask him to do that even right now. I, I wonder if... We could pray together. Maybe if you want to, you can bow your heads right there and you could just pray in your own way. God, 
I want to come home. Got in my own way. I've run away from home. Now I'm anxious. And now I'm sick of living in fear. I'm sick of the guilt or the shame. I've tried my own way, God, and it's got me here where I am at. And I want to come home. I've sinned. I've turned from you. And I understand now that I was the one who you went out looking for, the father, looking for his son. I was the shepherd. I was the sheep that was lost that the shepherd went out looking for. And I want to come home today, and I want to receive your forgiveness and your love and that abundant life that you promised in John 10. And I want to ask you, God, because you said you would. You said you would in John. You said you'd come and make your home in me. God, I know that I won't always get it right. I know that I'll mess up. But I'm going to ask you to help me with that as well, to be my Lord, to be my guide. God just said in Acts 1 and 8 that you would give us the promised Holy Spirit that would give us power, that you'd become a guide, a comforter to lead us and guide us all throughout the days of our lives to forgive us from one day to the next for when we don't get it right. Let your spirit fill me. Convict me, oh God. Give me the power to do life in the way that you've called me to. I want to come home and then one day the Bible says your trumpet's going to sound and I'm going to go home with you forever and I'm going to make my home with you forever but I want that to start at Christmas because Christmas is for coming home thank you God thank you for the men and women the young men and young women who in this room have made that decision. Thank you for the people who are watching online right now and those who will watch online someday who are coming home. Here's what we know. Angels are rejoicing right now. And as a church family, LifePoint, would you celebrate along with the angels? Come on, everybody. Let's give it up. Come on, let's give it up. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.